Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Tuesday, October the 8th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are still in bye week mode with no game to review. We'll touch on the firing of Jay Gruden in Washington and what that means for the tank. And we'll welcome in a friend of the podcast, Ian Wharton, to discuss this year's quarterback class and the Dolphins' 2019 season and future beyond that. All of that and much more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Top 200 on Apple Podcasts. Top 100 on Spotify. Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the off-season mock up right now, version 1.0. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right into today's show. That's another Miami Dolphins. Before we get Ian on here, some injury updates for the week. The Dolphins returned to practice on Monday, and so did a few players, including defensive back Bobby McCain and Jamal Wiltz. Sounds like they'll be good to go for the game on Sunday. And left tackle Jesse Davis could cause some shuffling on the Dolphins' offensive line as he returns to practice as well. Chris LeMange, Jakeem Grant, and Trent Harris were not out there on Monday, and no word on Albert Wilson. As far as what we're dealing with on Sunday, Washington just fired head coach Jay Gruden and promoted Bill Callahan to the head chair who has been pretty much everywhere since he coached the 2002 Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders but here is the big part that concerns me as far as wanting to lose games the rest of the way. Per Josina Anderson, Callahan felt the team needed to run the ball more this season and told some players last week that he was hard-pressed to remember a time when he coached a team with so few rush attempts. You guys know how I always drag on Matt Burke or Keith Butler up in Pittsburgh, for instance, for not playing modern-day football? Well, Washington was playing antiquated ball from the start, and they might get even more of it. From Warren Sharp of Sharp Football, Washington has the fourth highest first down run rate in the first half this season, 59%, and they gained the third worst yards per carry on those runs at 3.3 yards per average, and they have the fourth highest yardage to gain on second down in the NFL on average at 9.1 yards to go. So this is a bad football team coming down to Miami to play a bad football team, and that is the man they promoted to find that first win. I just shudder in my boots thinking about how this might go. The good news, I guess, is that he is an old offensive line coach and maybe can scheme something up. Plus, those players, as Adam Gaze would tell you, might be a little charged up for the game, for the change, even if it is just for one week. But I'm deathly terrified of Dwayne Haskins starting. I don't think he's ready, and I think Miami could shut him down. I guess the hope is that the Washington defense stands strong in this one. They have some nice pieces on that side, but still, just three and a half point favorites. That's going to be a closer contest, I think, than we originally thought. We'll get more into the preview for that game later on this week, but I don't want to waste any more time getting my guest on here today. 
He's been on the show before. You all know him for his work on college football for fan-sided Bleacher Report, several outlets, especially the quarterback position. He's at NFL Film Study on Twitter. He is, of course, Ian Wharton. Ian, what's up, dude? Hey, Travis. I'm excited to be back. You know, football's in full swing. We're almost halfway through the college football year. It's insane. But uh, it's the best time of the year, so I'm loving it. It is. Baseball playoffs. To me, the weather gets the best. I love Halloween. I just I can't get enough of October. So let's go ahead and forge into this one real quick. And let's start here with, I guess, 2019. Something we don't do a lot on this podcast, Ian. I don't know if you're a regular listener, but we don't get into this season that much because who really cares? But I want to start... With this one, the big game in Miami this week, big using quotation marks, of course. Just your quick initial thoughts. What's going to happen in this game on Sunday? Do you think the Dolphins have a fighting chance against a Bill Callahan-led Washington team that could be starting Case Keenum or maybe it's Colt McCoy? Give us your thoughts on Sunday's game. Yeah, I I think for fans of the Dolphins uh, wanting to tank, I think this is a scary proposition game because (laughs) Washington's not really trying to lose. They're trying to win, and they stink. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're just like the Jets, right? Like they're that's a team trying to compete, and yet they're still losing games and not really looking super competitive while doing it. Uh, but they do have a bunch of veterans on the defense that can actually keep them in games. I, I do think Miami coming off the bye week, this is an opportunity for them if they're what they want to win. They're going to have the opportunity. Uh, I think we're going to see a better team from Miami's perspective after the bye week. I think they'll make some nice adjustments. It just kind of depends on uh, how those young players play, and especially at the quarterback position and offensive line. But uh, it's a tough matchup in terms of that. I think the pass rush from Washington is going to do a lot of damage once again, but it's because it's an especially talented unit for the Redskins. So it's going to be a competitive game. I think we'll come down to the wire and uh, we'll see if any self-imposed mistakes maybe happen to make their way onto the field for either team <laughs> to try to get that loss. But, uh, you know, I think Miami's definitely the team that, Uh, probably should lose this game, but I think Washington has been tripping over themselves all year. Yeah, being a home underdog to this Washington outfit, it's kind of a wake-up call for those folks that maybe didn't think this team was as bad as it actually is. And hopefully we get some Jason Sanders luck from the last couple of weeks. I don't want to see the kid go down a bad path, but if you're going to miss some kicks, man, this is a good time to do it. So interesting game on Sunday. You talked about the adjustments and the the week-long bye-week to give yourself some tendency breakers. That makes me nervous from the aspect of Miami winning a game, but let's go ahead and scale things back here real quick, Ian, and get your big picture stroke on this football team. Where do you come in on Miami's season so far, the plan to reset things and really take advantage of market value of these players, and I guess hopefully find a way to secure the first pick in next year's draft? Yeah, in general, I like what they're doing. You know, I, I didn't necessarily love the Laramie Tunsil trade uh, from the aspect of uh, giving up that type of potential franchise piece. But in general, I like the approach, right? Like I like cleaning off the books. I like getting Fitzpatrick in great value for him. Even though you hate losing the player, it's still you could end up with an even better player. And, and I think that especially at a positional need, this team can go into the draft next year. They've got so many picks. They've got a lot of money. I don't necessarily want them to spend all of that money in one offseason and get crazy, um, but it allows you flexibility. And so when you are acquiring these talents, you're going to have that flexibility moving forward. The dead cap era for this team is is beyond. You know, It's going to be beyond them after this year. So to be in the rearview mirror, it's going to be great. So you're looking at what they can build up, whether they want to compete more. I know that they've kind of talked about competing more in 2020. Maybe they don't take that approach. Maybe they get to the offseason, they see how the rest of this year goes. They all have to make some tough decisions, I think, at several positions. But I think this is the right approach for this team to finally blow it up, kind of clean out what they need to, reestablish what they want from the ground up. And if they hit on several of these picks, it doesn't have to be every pick, but several of these picks, especially a quarterback, 
defensive playmaker, you get those picks if this is the right coach. This could be one of those Cleveland Browns situations where you're looking at 10 years. You could be very competitive every single season. And that's the idea, the sustained success of building a consistent playoff and Super Bowl contender that can make pushes into January and into February, hopefully, at the end of this thing. So hopefully they don't waste all these resources they've acquired because that would be a damn shame. Like you mentioned, great flexibility, great position. And speaking of wasting resources, you guys take your wife out for a nice date on a Friday night. Don't waste all that goodwill and not be able to perform when it comes to the bedroom. Check out bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB, as in the MLB playoffs. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it today for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It's a Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are coming to you on the Locked On Podcast Network. My guest is Ian Wharton. And Ian, I want to spin this thing forward and get into your specialty here on the podcast. And of course, that's talking about rookie quarterbacks. We'll get your broad strokes here in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about Tua Tungavailoa. He is the guy that is making his rounds across every single topic on every Dolphins podcast or content provider. Is Tua your QB1? And just go ahead and rave about his game for a minute. If you can, And if you can find them, tell us about his weaknesses as well. Yeah, no, he definitely is my quarterback one, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um, he's got the, the entire skill set, right? Like He doesn't necessarily have uh, the biggest arm. He doesn't maybe have the, the biggest stature. He's not that 6'6", you know, rifle arm that, that Josh Allen got drafted high for, highly for, um, and really all he got drafted highly for. But he has every single L, everything, everything else that you could ever imagine from the quarterback position, and it really starts with his brain. It starts with dissecting the defense early, understanding the leverage of defenders, being able to hit his guys in stride, being able to place the ball in a perfect spot with incredible uh, like consistency. It, it just it really amazes me. So he's actually attempted 15 passes um, to the left hash marks, 15 passes to the middle, 15 to the right, and that's all from zero to 10 yards. His consistency. From zero to ten yards in each of those quadrants, or uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say quadrants, uh, in each of those parts of the fields, and these are the thirds. Yes, thank you. Uh, it, it, it's the same across the board, and so this is a guy that you're getting. That you can attack every single part of the field with consistency. He's worked on his game. He's improved his footwork. He's improved his arm strength a little bit to where you're looking at his game and you're just like, man, like, it is hard to watch this guy and not just think that everyone he's playing is terrible. But that's not the case. I He's know. just so good. <laughs> and some of it is a supporting cast, yes. But his supporting cast is being put into position by him. He's the one that's orchestrating that, setting all of that up. None of that happens without him. And so that dominance that you're seeing every single week from Alabama, it revolves around Tua, and it resol- revolves around the ecosystem that he has uh, with his skill set. And I, I think mentally that's really where I love him is because he plays so well in the red zone. He plays well under pressure. He just has that calming nature about him. He hasn't necessarily played his best in certain moments. You look at Clemson. He wasn't the best quarterback on the field, even though he played well in that last national championship game. Also, you look at the Georgia game before that, where he had two ankle injuries, including one that required surgery. 
Obviously, he wasn't his best at those games. I think those are going to be the question marks moving forward is can he overcome those? Can he play well against LSU? Can he play well against Georgia? Can he play well in the playoff this year? I think he will. We saw two years ago his first game action. He comes in there and, and he wins a national title. So I think he's got that talent in him. Uh, but I do want to see him prove it 100 I guess prove it 100%, right? Like you're looking for the 100% prospect. Those type of performances against great teams would actually solidify him because he, he checks the box everywhere else. I mean, I just think his placement, his touch on the ball, his understanding of defenses and leverage is, is really unique and very rare to see coming out of college. There's two things that you mentioned there. I, I told myself I wasn't going to come in and, and give my opinions here, but it's so hard not to. I, I can't help myself because you glow about him, and I feel the same way, if not stronger. And you mentioned the consistency in those layup throws, as I call them, you know, the ones that you're supposed to hit to keep your offense ahead of the chains. And the way he's able to speed up his footwork, either to get to the top of the drop or to get off of it, to get himself consistently aligned in his mechanics is so much fun to watch. And I think it's so overlooked and how strong his game is. And also, number two, you mentioned the timing and anticipation and the consistency with which he creates those big play opportunities we're talking about guys that run 4-2-4-3-4-4-40s. We're not talking about T. Higgins, a six-foot-five guy that goes up and back shoulders a guy in coverage and just makes the contested catch. Tua has to be perfect for those big plays to work, and it happens time and time again. So I'm glad you feel the same way. But let's go ahead and move on off of our quarterback one here who we could just talk about for hours, I'm sure. I want to know for you, who's next? Who's quarterback two? And since you think Tua is a bona fide franchise quarterback, is there anybody else in this class that's going to be that, a franchise quarterback, in your estimation? Yeah, it's a great question as to who quarterback two is. I'm I'm still trying to figure it out because I'm looking at 2018 and I'm saying, well, Joe Burrow yeah. has been the second best quarterback in 2018. And he's probably, if you look at his 2018, was the second best quarterback from 2018, considering the guys that we're talking is going to be in the 20, uh, 20 draft. So not including the guys who drafted this last year. But if you look at the same group, uh, 20 Bur- uh, Joe Burrow's 2019 so far has been better than uh, uh, Herbert's 20. Uh, Justin Herbert's 2018. He didn't have a great year last year, and I think this year he's had some positive steps. I don't think he's been amazing. He hasn't been a world beater. I think if you're drafting him, you're still kind of drafting him almost like Carson Wentz, where you really like the physical tools. You really like those brief moments, those little flash plays, those highlight plays, and you're hoping to build consistency around it. Who knows if you will, though? So Drew- Joe Burrow, to me, is a guy who has the skill set to be more consistent. He could be a guy that he's got a good enough arm strength. He's overhauled his uh, passing motion. So I really like that about him. He's put in the work to improve, whereas Justin Herbert really hasn't improved since 2017, where his bright moments still look like the same bright moments. His bad moments still look like the same bad moments. So for me right now, it's going to be Joe, Herb, uh, Joe Burrow. And Justin Herbert's going to be right there with him. Uh, I, I think it, it's just tough, right? It's early in the season. I want to see Burrow play against a better team. We talk about competition levels. He really hasn't played a better team. He's been playing against low competition to this point. It's not his fault, but he's played well. So right now I would have Tua, I would have Joe Burrow, and then Justin Herbert. Both uh, Burrow and Herbert probably more like late first rounders in terms of like a grade. Uh, I think they can both be very good starters, especially in the right situation, uh, but probably more similar to like a – uh, Rosen, Josh Rosen type of grade. Um, we're not like a flawless prospect in the least. I thought he was a strong prospect, but I, I still saw a lot in his game where it's like if you told me that he failed, I wouldn't have been shocked. So same with those two guys. There's enough weaknesses in their games where it's like if they don't go to the right situation, it could be a short career for them. 
that's one of the things I keep on harping on is that there's guys in this draft that have the upside and the ability. And I think it's a really interesting discussion between what scouts job is to do and what a coach's job is to do. Because I talk to these scouts, Ian, and they tell me like Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, the physical stature, the size, the way the ball jumps off their hand, they're so impressed by it. And I understand that because you go watch them in shorts or in practice and in shells and in the red shirt and everything, and they can spin it and look fantastic out there. But you mentioned those shortcomings and the way maybe they don't process as fast or Herbert can be a little bit late in his timing or see, you know, that phantom pressure that kind of melts him down. It's just... The, the difference in those guys and the preparedness and the, the pro-ready style of quarterback that Tua is and he's growing into being and getting even better, that gap to me is just so big. And you made a mention there about Josh Rosen, and I want to go ahead and dovetail this thing back into that and talk about where you would rack or where you would where you would stack or rank. That's a, a pairing of two words there. Where you would rank Josh Rosen among this quarterback class because as my listeners know, I don't believe in Josh Rosen. I never did at UCLA, at Arizona. I still don't in Miami. Before we came on the podcast, I talked to you about the training camp looks that he had and he, how bad he looked at times there. I want to know where you rank Josh Rosen in this quarterback class and specifically how far behind is he from Tua in your quarterback grades? Yeah, so I had Rosen as quarterback one coming out uh, in his draft class, and I, I liked him a lot. I thought he was a pretty strong prospect, even with clear you know weaknesses in his game, where areas where he could improve. Uh, but I just thought that skill, I thought his skill set was solid, but I really liked what he showed as far as a certain timing of his plays and, and a certain situational awareness. I really liked and the touch on this ball. But he wasn't a perfect prospect, and obviously we're seeing some of that. And I think it's going to take some time. I think he's similar to Joe Burrow. I think he's similar to Justin Herbert, only in terms of he needs the right situation. He needs the right uh, scene. And, and you, with that, you have to question what's the upside, right? Every quarterback's a system quarterback. That's not what I'm saying. We, we already know that. Even Tom Brady's a system quarterback. So what I'm trying to say is with this is, is Josh Rosen's upside going to be there at like two us? I don't think it is. Yeah. I, I just don't think that he has. And I, I said this for Dwayne Haskins last year too. I think the upside of Tua and Dwayne Haskins, guys like that, who are hitting throws that just make your jaw drop. And he's hitting several of them a game. And he's hitting them at tough angles. He's evading pressure. Uh, talking about Tua here, evading that pressure, extending plays. Uh, I love that about him and how he handles pressure. He's only had, I think, six incomplete passes under pressure this year uh to us as i just kind of tally it up here in my head and like three uh, so times it, many touchdowns. Yeah, he's got he's got like 28 tries so it's like he his efficiency in those situations is unrivaled and obviously some of that's not going to translate to the nfl right like it's going to be a more tougher situation than, than what we've seen uh, but josh rosen that was a weakness of his in college he was more average closer to the mean and so i think that that helps highlight what the upside of these two guys is i think too is just a more natural playmaker and that's what it comes down to. And this is why we saw Kyler Murray go number one last year, because he had that upside. If you're going to get a chance to be an NFL coach, an NFL GM, do you want that upside of a potential Super Bowl? Or do you want maybe a guy like Rosen, who I think could be like Jared Goff, where he's yeah. like he's above average, right? But he needs a really good situation around him. You're hoping he takes that unexpected leap. And I think Rosen's going to be more in that mold. So I think two is a better play if you're going to be picking between the two. I'm glad you position it that way because I try to convey that same message. And I tend to get a little bit rigid when it comes to trying to make a point about my opinion. And in doing that, I might have downgraded Josh Rosen's potential upside by doing that. But I, I do still, at the end of the day, think that he could be like an above average quarterback that drives a very good team to a championship 
My expectation, my desire, though, Ian, is just to go after a quarterback that can rise the entire tide, you know, no pun intended, and make the team around him better and bring like a Packers with Aaron Rodgers, bring a decent team into a championship and win it that way. So that's what I want. That's my expectation. And I'm betting the Dolphins will be in on that this coming draft process. And at the end of a hard week for you guys, you can come home and make your bets too, because it's nothing better in life than to come home, sit down, take some time off and watch some football. Game-winning drives on two-minute drills. Running backs racing down the sideline with nobody in sight to stop them. There is just nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and MyBookie.ag is the best in the business. I wouldn't be telling you guys about them if they weren't the best. And if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code Locked On to activate that offer. That's promo code Locked On. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. We're rolling into segment number three here. I've got Ian Wharton. He is at NFL Film Study on Twitter. This is Travis Wingfield, of course, your daily host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We've talked about quarterbacks. We've raved about Tua Tungavailoa. Let's go ahead and get to the rest of this draft class, Ian. We're about five, six weeks into the college football season now. And let's maybe do one player per position at positions of major need, which could be every single spot on this Dolphins roster. But let's go ahead and do offensive line, defensive line, cornerback, safety, receiver and a running back can you give us a name just briefly at each of those spots you're keeping an eye on yeah definitely so we talked about two a quarterback i'd also keep an eye on justin herbert jordan love uh i don't necessarily love the last two kind of just talked about that but i still keep an eye on them right these guys could descend they could potentially be franchise quarterbacks with the right breaks or with the right development you never know how the draft is going to shake out especially with these other teams playing uh defensive line extremely important edge Miami needs him. <laughs> Chase yeah, Young. Very much. I think you start there. I think you go then to A.J. Epineza. Uh, I really like him out of Iowa. Terrell Lewis out of Alabama, another potential star as a pass rusher. He's got a great skill set. Alton Robinson out of Syracuse, another one, possibly a day two type of talent. Could be a really good steal for Miami, especially with those day two picks. Offensive line. That's another one. I'm with you. I think this is going to be one that they hit hard. Creed Humphrey. I know you've talked about the importance of a center for this team. I really agree with you. I think that's going to be a big focus for this team in the offseason. Creed Humphrey is going to be that guy. You're looking at number 25, that type of range with that Houston pick. We're really going to end up there. I think Creed Humphrey is going to be a natural addition for them at that spot. But you're also looking at the tackles too, right? I think guys that could be a really good value for them. Calvin Throckmorton out of Oregon. Um, I really like Trey Adams as well out of Washington. If his medicals pan out, that's going to be the big question for him. Cornerback, it's a good draft for cornerback. C.J. Henderson out of Florida could be a day two type value, maybe late first round. Bryce Hall, I love Bryce yeah. Hall. He's a playmaker. He finds the ball. He's very similar to Marcus Peters in terms of that ball hawking nature, that ball production. I really like that. Uh, not necessarily the best athlete, but he's a guy I think who can overcome it. Um, and another one just for you, Jeff Gladney out of TCU. Again, looking at that like that Patriots mold. A guy who's feisty, might be a little bit undersized, but he's going to be physical, he's going to play fast, and he's going to be a, a, one of the smarter players on the defense. So those would be definitely guys that I think that in those first two rounds, 
I think they're realistic and they're also going to test well. I think you could legitimately project them to be above average starters at the positions. I'm glad you gave me several different names that I haven't talked about yet in the podcast because I've kind of gone over those positions and given my names. So it's good to get a, a broader scope of that. And speaking of a broader scope, as far as the way this team's going to get rebuilt this offseason, Ian, we've talked quarterback, we've talked first round of the draft. And the only thing left to do here is to talk about the free agency approach. It's been fool's gold for this organization in the past. You even mentioned you hope they don't spend all that money. I did a mock off season earlier in the week and I spent about half that money and still got a bunch of good players, but I sort of get the sense that there's more of a targeted mold to follow here with a staff that can clearly define what it wants to do on either side of the football. It's not just about seeing Danell Ellerby out there on the market and cutting a superior player in Carlos Dansby just to go get him because he won a Super Bowl. But what say you? What do you think the free agency approach will be? And who are some names, just a few, you're keeping an eye on this season going into the next uh, going into next March in free agency? Yeah, so I did read your piece. It was great. And so I wanted to add a couple of names to that. Uh, I I actually agree with a lot of them. And what your mindset is, is what I think this team will do and and what I would do for them, too. You're looking for like that buy low. You're looking for those guys who are really good values, can be great in your system, and and you capitalize on them for maybe one, two or three years. Uh, So just real quick, B.J. Finney, a guard. Um, Pittsburgh Steelers, I think he'd be a really nice fit. Austin Blythe, guard from the Los Angeles Rams. Two guys I think that could be average to above average starters on the offensive line. It's not a great line class. Ted Karras, the center. We talked about center. Maybe they don't want to draft one if they want to hit one in free agency. If the Patriots let him go, he's played really well in limited time for them. Uh, defensively, Shaq Barrett, we're seeing him really star for the Buccaneers. Now I think the Dolphins were a year too late mm-hmm. on jumping on that. His market value would jump, but Miami has the money. So maybe they look at him and they say, you know, he can be our Kyle Van Noy. He's going to be our A-plus version of Kyle Van Noy. That'd be fine. They've got the money to do it to splurge on someone like that. Matt Judon uh, from the Baltimore Ravens I think would be a nice value as well. Can kind of do it all too. Very smart player, always in position. Not the most dynamic, but he's really solid. Shaq Thompson, if they want to go splurge on like that fancy um, A-plus type versatile player, he is a fantastic cover linebacker. I think with their current linebackers, you look at their big weakness at that position, Shaq Thompson would walk into that position and really change the face of that. I think you'd have three great young linebackers at that point uh, to really give them versatile looks. Secondary, Mike Hilton as a slot corner from Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, if he escapes, he's a great blitzer. He can drop back into man coverage, very good in zone coverage. He's really like the one guy in that secondary besides Minka now who's worth anything. Uh, I think he'd be a really nice value. People don't really talk about him too much. Uh, Anthony Harris, safety from the Minnesota Vikings too. I think he could be a nice piece. He's having a really good year for Minnesota. A big fan of his game. He's not an over-the-top safety. You're not really going to find that outside of Demarius Randall, but I'm not necessarily sure I'd spend on a guy like Demarius Randall. So I think Harris could still be a good value at that position. My listeners are going to love that offensive line list you rattled off there. And personally, me, Shaq Thompson, I, I have loved that guy since his college days at Washington, being a Pacific Northwest guy. He can do it all, like you mentioned, and he'd be a great compliment to somebody like Raekwon McMillan, who was just balling out right now against the run, but probably doesn't play as well going backwards into coverage. So great list, Ian. I appreciate that. I've got one more question for you here, and it's the tough one. Do the Dolphins go 0-16 this season? I will say no. I don't think any team goes 0-16 this year. I think we'll probably have two 1-15 type of teams, and it's going to be a real nail-biter. It's going to come down to uh, quality of competition. I don't think Miami wins this week. Uh, I think they'll probably find a way to lose this one. Washington just has enough vets. 
And, and those vets really make a difference, I think, in these moments. Unless if they quit on the team and quit on the, the franchise as a whole, um, I think they're going to find a way to squeak it out. And I think Miami's going to find one or two games where, you know, it's just a, something goes their way, right? It's a block punt, missed field goal for the other team, and it's just that luck goes that way. It's really hard to go 0-16. And, <laughs> and I know that they've been bad, but I really don't think they're 0-16 bad. But you know, I was also wrong about the Browns, too. I didn't think they were 0-16 bad, too. So maybe I'll be wrong. The thing about that, though, is I can tell there's severe conflict in your voice and the way you're positioning that because I kind of feel the same way. Like, there should be a game where things do happen, where they just find themselves with a W. But the way things have gone so far, and you mentioned Washington and kind of the pressure they can put on the quarterback. And if they don't get this win against Washington, they're not beating Buffalo. They're not going to score a point in Buffalo. And then Pittsburgh on Monday, they should have Mason Rudolph back for that. And then Sam Donald back for the Jets. It just it kind of cavalcades into a tough schedule down the stretch. And the good thing is for Miami, with all these bad teams on their on their schedule ahead, if they do go one and fifteen, they're probably going to have the worst strength of schedule because they play the Jets twice, they play the Bengals, they play the. You guys know the schedule. They're most likely going to have the lowest strength of schedule among any zero or one or two win teams. So number one pick, you think? I think so. And I'd be watching that, that Pittsburgh game and I'd be watching the Cincinnati game. I think those are the two moments where they, they're probably the best chance to win um, and mess everything up, especially against Cincinnati. They've got to let Cincinnati win. I think that's like <laughs> been, their number one priority needs to be losing to Cincinnati. So I, I think Washington will actually win a, a couple of games. I don't think they'll be too, too terrible. We'll see how Bill, Bill Callahan is. Maybe he'll be awful. But I think he'll be like a... Uh, Campbell where like he gets the guys fired up and, and they pull out a couple of wins. <laughs> that would be just fantastic. Just in time for the Dolphins game. Again, he is Ian Wharton. You guys can find his work on Bleacher Report, Fan Sided, SB Nation, pretty much anywhere football is written. Ian is there. He is at NFL Film Study on Twitter. Ian, I appreciate it so much, man. Go enjoy Monday Night Football and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Travis. Always a pleasure to have Ian on the podcast. I feel like we always learn something every time he comes on the show. One quick roster move to make a note of here before we check out for the night and I go watch the Browns and Niners. The Dolphins added tackle Anthony Garcia to the practice squad and cut the preseason sensation in Dwayne Hendricks. In doing so, getting their practice squad back to 11 names with Garcia on and Hendricks gone. As for this podcast, we are going to be gone here in just one second as well. As always, all of you, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a review check out the other locked on sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams follow me on twitter at wingfield nfl follow the show at locked on fins keep up to date on the daily dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. you guys have a great rest of your night we'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the locked on dolphins podcast your daily dose for miami dolphins football